forgot the mic. So if you can't hear me, raise your hand. If I need it, uh, they decided I don't need it either then. Well, we're glad to be here and we appreciate each one's presence. And visitors, we're especially glad to have you. Tonight, we're going to pick up again in Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 15. But before we actually begin there, I want to turn back a page or two to chapter 14 for just a moment to again kind of set the setting that Christ is in and uh, who he is continuing to have to deal with. In verse 1 of chapter 14 we read, it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees. Now I want us to notice this. One of the chief, one of the ruling Pharisees. That he's in his house to eat bread or to dine with him on the Sabbath day. And then we read, they watched him. He's in this house, this Pharisee, and eating, and obviously others are there. And we read, they watch him. Well, what kind of watching are they doing? Well, he's called them hypocrites repeatedly. They're watching him as a, we might use the word surveillance. Even one writer uses the word espionage. They're watching him with ulterior motives, aren't they? As we read the next verse, and behold, there was a certain man, again, as we noticed this morning, as chapter 15 begins, the, Luke uses the word a certain man, not by name, but to identify a certain man, there before him which had the dropsy. So on this occasion, in this house, there is a man, in addition to Christ, the chief Pharisee and others present, who has a malady called dropsy. We would, in our day and time, call it edema. A swelling due to excessive fluid in his body. Jesus, answering, spake to the lawyers and Pharisees present, saying, is Jesus perceptive and understand what's going on and how they're watching him? Obviously so. So he asked this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. They didn't respond. And he takes this man who is afflicted and he heals him, and he let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have a donkey or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Some translations, if I recall, have, instead of a donkey, a son. 
If you have a son or an animal, the other is an ox, and they fall into a pit, would you immediately pull them out on the Sabbath day? And they couldn't answer. Then he proceeds to speak to them in another parable. But I just wanted to mention this enough to, for us to see what kind of people Jesus is dealing with. Those who are critical, grumbling, murmuring Pharisees, self-righteous, indignant toward others. This is their attitude. So now when we do go to chapter 15 and look at the first few verses, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. The Pharisees and scribes murmured, complained. This man receives sinners and eats with them. It's a little ironic that they accuse Christ of eating and Associating, associating with tax collectors, publicans, and sinners, when who has he just been eating with? The Pharisee, the chief Pharisee, who has set a situation up with Jesus and this man who is afflicted. They've set this up. They watched him to see if he'd do what on the Sabbath day? Healing. Has he been known to do this before? Obviously he has. Is it good and right for Jesus to do good on the Sabbath day? It is, isn't it? They watched him to see what he would do. And he did what they expected him to do. And why they had this man here who was afflicted and Jesus teaches them if they're listening because again the last verse of chapter 14 is he that hath ears to hear do what? listen you know it's one thing to take words in our ears it's another thing to comprehend, to understand, and get the message, isn't it? How many times as parents and grandparents we've said, do you hear me? What do we mean? Are you listening, comprehending, understanding what I'm saying? That's the point, isn't it? That's what Jesus is saying. He that hath ears, did they have ears? They had the physical ear, but what's between those ears? It's called brain, isn't it? Contains our mind, our intellect. Are you really listening? Well, these Pharisees, by and large, were so egotistical and so set on their self-righteousness that they didn't listen to Jesus. 
But notice in chapter 15 again, who comes to hear him? The tax collectors and the sinners, don't they? Now the Pharisees fit that sinner description. The problem was most of them didn't see themselves that way, did they? So Jesus now, in verse, uh, in chapter 15, and well, in verse 2, Luke records, the Pharisees and scribes murmur, complain that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. Little do they seem to realize that he's just been eating with them, and they could be in the same category, wouldn't they? So it's somewhat of an indictment of their own selves, isn't it? Now we read, he spake this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which he lost until he finds it? Now which one would not do that. Well, in light of what we know of the Pharisees, they might not do that. They might say, let him alone. We don't have time, and we don't care enough. But a real shepherd would do what? Just what he's going to say, isn't it? He's lost a sheep. I don't know how many of you are familiar with sheep. I've had a few over the years, have a few now. Generally speaking, they're very helpless. They don't run fast. They don't jump high. They tend to wander. They're quite different from goats. Goats are fast, athletic. But sheep need a shepherd. And here's an illustration that Jesus is using of a hundred sheep, 99 are well and safe, but one is missing, one's lost. And what does he do? He leaves that 99 safely and goes searches for the one who is lost until he does what? He finds it. He's persevering, isn't he? He cares. He wants the one sheep back, doesn't he? Indicative of Christ, isn't it? We just sung some songs concerning the Lamb of God and sheep. He's our shepherd, isn't he? Sometimes we wander away, though, don't we? I have seen them when 
they've wandered off into another pasture away from the fold. And all of a sudden, they realize the rest of them, their mama and the other sheep, are nowhere around. And they'll start hollering and looking then, usually, the small ones anyway. But they don't realize where they are. And as a shepherd, many times you have to go and retrieve them. Oftentimes they found a hole in the fence or a place to get through. And they don't remember how to get back. I've seen them run up and down the fence, run by the hole a dozen times. And you finally catch them or get them where you, they get back. Takes some effort, doesn't it? Searched until he found it. The one that was lost. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and brings it home. And notice that word, rejoicing. Rejoicing. He's found the one. And we're the sheep, the flock, the church. Bought with the blood of Christ. Does he care for us? Does he love us? Did he give his life for us? We all know yes. Well, he's using these illustrations here that they are familiar with. Sheep is a very real livestock to these people. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders. He picks the little fella up, puts it on his shoulders, and brings it home. No longer lost. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. Now, many of you probably would relate more to a puppy dog. I doubt many of you have sheep running around in the yard or in the house. But many of you have a, a dog that you really, really like. In fact, I hear the word love a lot. And when that puppy goes missing, I know, I see signs, you probably do too, on poles tacked around. Lost dog, name, number, and picture of it. My wife tells me, oh, another pup's done run off. She sees it on Facebook. In fact, we have a grandson and granddaughter. That little dog of theirs is out more than he is in. That, that dog is known more by the neighbors. They know it's out so much, they call it. Call it by name. We've got you, pup. Here you go. They come get it again. You know. Well, those of us who have animals, we like animals. And we care for them. And of course, in their day and time, particularly under the old law, it was animal to sacrifice too, wasn't it? And to be eaten, and to use for clothing, it was a necessity 
of the day, wasn't it? And shepherds care for the flock. Each individual, we're all sheep. And elders were shepherds. We're not perfect by any means. But we try and attempt to be alert, aware, protective of God's flock. Under the chief shepherd. Remember what Peter tells us? First Peter chapter 5. They wonder him. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the chief shepherd. We're in his kingdom. It's a monarchy, isn't it? He's the king. Yet he depicts himself as a shepherd too. He was a lamb. The lamb of God, wasn't he? The sacrificial lamb. Once and for all. All time. And all people. Well, when the shepherd finds his sheep, he brings him home. His neighbors, his friends, his relatives, all rejoice. One. Does Jesus rejoice? Yes, indeed. We read that heaven rejoices when one comes home, when the lost is found. God rejoices. Christ, the Holy Spirit, the angels of heaven rejoice. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. Now the background being of these Pharisees, what do they look at a person who is not as they see them? They don't see them as Jesus sees them, do they? He eats and he associates with sinners and tax collectors. Intended as a slur. But really that's what? A compliment, isn't it? He associates with us. We have been washed if we've been obedient to, to him in the blood of the lamb. We're now a sheep in his fold. But what were we prior to that? We were sinners, weren't we? But as faithful children of God, we're not sinners anymore. We're God's children. Now do we succumb to sin sometimes in temptation? Yes. But what cleanses us? The blood of Christ, doesn't it? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. First John 1, 7. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, isn't he? 
We're one of his children. We have the avenue of prayer. And ask for forgiveness. We're no longer a sinner. Though we may commit sin at times. But we are not alien sinners anymore. However, one time we were, weren't we? And perhaps some in the sound of my voice tonight are in that condition. And when you think about that over in Ephesians chapter 2 particularly, Paul describes it as being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Having no hope and without God in this world but as a Christian we have hope and salvation in Christ so here we have this picture of Jesus being represented as a shepherd who takes even one we are all individuals aren't we he loves each and every one of all humanity who did he die for? God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Each one of us is who he died for. Individually. There are many examples of God loving individuals and Jesus. When you come, for instance, over to Acts chapter 8, Philip is up here in Samaria preaching, isn't he? We would say he's having a great gospel meeting. Many are being converted. God sends the message to him, come down here to one man, doesn't he? This Ethiopian, who is traveling back to Ethiopia. Riding in that chariot, reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip joins himself to that chariot. One man, one individual, you or me. That God sends all the way down here with perfect timing at the right place. And he's reading and he's asked, do you understand what you're reading? And what's his reply? How can I accept someone guide me or teach me? Philip joins himself to the unit, his chariot, began at the same scripture and preached to him who? Jesus. And then we see, he says, see here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? They stop the chariot and they both go down into the water and he baptizes them and they come up out of the water. One man, one soul, one person, that's you and me, that he died for. And now that sinner, the Ethiopian, is now saved, isn't he? He's a child of God. He's a member of the body of Christ, the church. He's been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. One more sheep 
in the fold of the Savior. Now, having concluded the illustration here uses here of the shepherd finding the one that was lost sheep and bringing him home and saying there's joy in heaven over the one sinner that repents more than over 99 who need no, no repentance. Then he further goes from there to an illustration of a woman who has silver coin that she can't locate. We may not grasp the depth of some of these parables and illustrations till we start studying them more. The more we study them, the more we learn from them. Some of you ladies may have a prized necklace or ring that as far as total value it may not have that much but to you it means what a whole lot doesn't it it may have been your mother's it may have been your grandmother's or your great grandmother's it may have been handed down over several generations is it valuable to you in that day and time it wasn't uncommon for ladies to have a silver coin attached to a necklace. This lady, we read, having ten pieces of silver. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a good chance you ladies may have ten necklaces or more to match all those different shoes. But this lady had 10 silver coins. Well, how many did she lose? Just one. Just one. Well, what did she do? Well, we reached, she lights a candle. You ladies would turn the light on. Maybe get a flashlight or more. And you'd do what she did, wouldn't you? She sweeps the house, searches high and low and everywhere. And if she had a husband, I'm sure she had him down on all fours searching too. Some, I know for a fact, have lost a diamond ring. Even though it, it may have been very expensive, or then again, it may not have been that expensive. But to you, it meant everything, didn't it? It was valuable. Well, that's the way it is with this lady. This coin is very valuable to her, more than its face value by far. And we read when she, that she seeks diligently. That same word could have been used about the shepherd, couldn't it? He searched till he what? Found it, that one sheep. This lady searched diligently. Until she found it. Now we mentioned about the sheep and sometimes how they can wander off. But a coin can't wander, can it? How did she lose it? 
Have you ever lost anything? Well, you didn't really lose it. At the moment, you thought you lost it. Some of us even had thought we lost our glasses and it was right on where it's supposed to be. And I can see some of y'all may have done the same thing too. Sometimes we forget where we put things, don't we? Sometimes things fall out of our pocket or out of our pocketbook. We don't know it. We've got a few items back there on a shelf now that are lost. You might look and see. You might find something there. I know some who've lost their Bible. And I can tell you right now, that would be the most devastating thing to me if I were to lose my Bible. I've been using this one for over 40 years now. Do you have many notes in your Bible? Well, we do, don't we? Some of them so old, they're faded, and they're hard to read anymore. The pages tend to stick together, don't they? But it's valuable to us, isn't it? Though we may have many Bibles, which most of us do, but we have one that we use regularly, and we'd have to say is probably our favorite, don't we? There are things that are valuable to us, and if we can't find them, what does it do to us? It upsets us, doesn't it? It causes us to search diligently until it's found. Well, that's what this lady is searching for, this one lost piece of silver until she finds it and then we read when she finds it she calls her friends or neighbors or relatives rejoice with me for I have found the peace I had lost now notice she said I had lost it obviously she didn't know where it was she kept searching until she found it but she didn't blame someone else did she she said, I lost it. But I searched and I searched until I found it. Now, do you think she had mentioned it to any of her friends, neighbors, relatives? If you see my coin somewhere, will you please tell me if I can get it or bring it to me? No doubt she had, didn't she? But she didn't blame anyone. She couldn't blame the coin because the coin... It was right wherever she dropped it, left it, or forgot about it, didn't she? Could she have been negligent? There are any number of possibilities, isn't it? But the issue is, it was lost, wasn't it? And she cares so much about it that she searches until she finds it. What's the picture? God cares, doesn't he? For every single one of us, just like the sheep. We're valuable. How valuable have you ever considered you are? Jesus died for you, didn't he? He died for me. 
Not only did he die for us to save us. When you read in your Bible sometimes where he died for us, it means he took, he took my place. He took your place. Did, he, did Jesus have any sin? No. But he took my sins and my sorrow. And he made them his very own. He died for you and me. And he died instead of you and me. Yet he tells us. He did it willingly. The love for us. Individually. Kept him on the cross. That love put him in the grave. And that love of God in him brought him forth the third day. That same love. Has him in heaven. Ascended back on high. And he intercedes for you and for me. The man, Christ Jesus. The shepherd who figuratively puts us on his shoulders. Who searches for us. I came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10 And he's speaking to Zacchaeus One of those despised tax collectors He came for you and for me And there's joy in heaven I say to you there's joy in the presence of the angels of God Over one sinner that repents in verse 10 and then we in this one parable there's three parts the lost sheep the lost coin and the lost son we talked about this morning and actually it's four because there's an elder brother isn't it who's lost also and he is the very personification of the Pharisees I don't want to prolong, but I do want to touch on this. So if you're reading along, drop down with me, if you will. Let's look at verse, let's go to verse 25. His elder son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing are they rejoicing and celebrating the son the prodigal son who has returned obviously they are aren't they the elder son hears from a distance what's going on and he calls in verse 26 one of the servants to ask what does this mean Notice he didn't call his dad. He didn't come running in the house and say, Dad, what, what's all this? He asked one of the servants. 
What does that tell you about his thinking, what he thinks of his dad? He asks one of the servants, and he says to him, Your brother is home, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he received him safe and sound. Now, is that something to rejoice about? Indeed, isn't it? That's heaven. That's heaven rejoicing over one sinner who comes home depicted by this father and the rejoicing he's doing. And this older son, what effect does it have on him? He's angry. He's indignant. Well, wait a minute. What about those Pharisees Jesus has been dealing with? He eats and associates with who? Tax collectors and sinners, doesn't he? Same kind of attitude, isn't it? Selfish, egotistical, self-righteous. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and he begs him, Son... He answers and says, Father, these many years I serve you. Neither transgressed at any time your commands. Yet you never gave me a kid. Now notice, what have they killed and what are they enjoying? T-bones, ribeyes, and fillets, right? From the fatty calf. He said, you never even gave me a little goat. Well, how different that is. Remember the, his younger brother in that pig pen we talked about this morning? In my father's house is what? Food to spare. Feeding my servants, his servants, isn't it? Well, this is the same house. And he said, you never, you never did this for me. See the attitude of the Pharisees depicted in him? You never even gave me a kid. That I might have a party and make my friends merry. But as soon as this, your son. Now notice, not my brother. But your son. Was come. He devoured your living. Wasted it with harlots. You killed for him the fatty calf. Makes you wonder if this boy didn't have his mindset. I can't wait to kill that fatty calf and have some of those T-bones ribeyes for myself. She never even gave me a little old goat. Didn't have a party even with a little old goat. And his dad says, and can't you hear him? The compassion just dripping from his heart son you are ever always with me and all that I have is yours did Jesus come to save the Pharisees also the Sadducees the scribes the sinners the tax collectors Whosoever 
will, didn't he? All that I have is thine. I came down from heaven, died on the cross, was beaten, spat upon, ridiculed, and all of that's for who? You. Even my life. My death, burial, resurrection for your salvation, you see. All that I have is yours. It was proper, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. Have you ever thought about, does Jesus smile? Does God smile? Yes, indeed. Rejoicing, glad, merry, happy over every sinner that comes home, that every soul that is saved. It was the right thing to do that we should make merry and be glad for this, your brother. Now notice how his dad says. He said, your son. And his dad says, he's still your brother, isn't he? Your brother. You go all the way back, you remember in Genesis, Cain killed Abel, don't you remember? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? Are we? Do we care about our fellow brothers and sisters? Do we care about those who are not Christians? Enough to try to teach them, encourage them. For those who have wandered away, to bring them back home. You see the message he's given. Jesus came and his own received him what? Not. These Pharisees were some of those who received him not. It's the right thing to do to have this rejoicing for your brother. He was dead and is alive again. Dead in sin, wasn't he? But now he's back home and he's alive. As far as his father knew, could he have been dead? He could have been, couldn't he? Physically. But he was definitely dead in sin. And we were all, or perhaps some today, are in that state too, right now. Dead in sin. But you can be made alive in Christ through obedience to the gospel. And no longer was your brother lost. He's now found. You see the love of God exemplified in this man, this illustration that Jesus gives of the sinner who comes home. Repentant, obedient, 
and now in a safe state. If you are one of those, we urge you to be a recipient of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Make that good confession. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Repent, as we've been talking about here. And Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, and heaven will rejoice in your obedience. If you wandered away, they're waiting to rejoice.